You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today in the story of Jesus calling Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I know that we watched a video on it, mentioned it earlier, but uh, Memorial Day weekend is always a special time each year when we remember the fallen, those who have given their lives for the sake of our freedom and our country. And it's worth saying again that uh, we collectively as a church, we're grateful for that. And as we, as we humbly and mournfully celebrate those lives that were lost this weekend, it's important to always say that we'll never forget those that were given for us. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Here in uh, a few years ago, 2015, uh, we did a sermon series entitled, uh, I Love My Church. We talked through that. Some of you that were around then remember uh, that's when we were doing some facilities remodels. Uh, remodeling in that summer we met over at the uh, the home builders association uh, during that summer and we did that series during that time and I thought we'd revisit a couple of things from that so uh, the title today is I love my church we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 in just a moment do we have anyone here today that is 72 years old at least that's willing to admit it anyone here that is 72 72, no, not older than 72, exactly 72. You're 72, Brother Sterling Allen? All right, anybody else? 72? All right, Brother Byron, you're 72? 72. Did you know that, that all of us that identify ourselves as Longview Missionary Baptist Church, if you're a part of this church family, if you're a member of this church, you today are 72. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Yeah. So a lot of you don't, don't realize this, but Memorial Day weekend also marks um, our church's birthday. Our church was founded 72 years ago uh, on Memorial Day weekend in, in, in a storefront in downtown Longview. And, uh, and so today, Longview Missionary Baptist Church is also turning 72. Now, when you think about a church, a church isn't a building, right? A church is her people. Uh, therefore, we that are Longview Missionary Baptist Church, we're 72 today. And so whether you're, uh, you know, one that has been a part of this church for 72 years or you've uh, only been a part of this church for 72 hours or somewhere in between, we all celebrate in that legacy. And this church is here today and she does what she does uh, because of both uh, those that have come before and, and served well and those of us that make up this church family today. So we collectively get to celebrate 72 years of incredible ministry here in Longview. This church is 72 years old today. Why has this church lasted? What, what, is, what has caused this church to last and to thrive for 72 years? It's a question worth, worth asking. What is it that she's provided to this community and to you and your family that has maybe brought you here or kept you here or drawn you this way? What is it that Jesus provides through his church, specifically this church, which is his church? That's what we're going to discuss today as we work through the message. We're going to talk about those things. And if you look at your bulletin on the left side, uh, there's a little box with two simple things that's going to be the foundation of what I want to teach and talk about today. Number one, through the church, Jesus provides hope. Through the church, Jesus provides hope. We've talked about hope quite a bit lately. As we led into our Easter season this year, we, we had a series called Hope for the Hopeless. We talked a lot about hope. And we know that we have hope through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hope of the world. But the method in which Jesus 
uh, intends to deliver that hope. The conduit for the hope of Jesus Christ is his church. We know that the Great Commission uh, was given to his church to go out and to share the gospel and to bring hope to the hopeless. We know that it is it is our calling in the world to to extend the love and the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ to those around us. And so through the church, Jesus provides hope. Have you ever felt hopeless, like maybe this guy right here in this next picture? Have you ever felt hopeless? Right? I mean, that poor donkey there. I would say they overloaded that trailer. You know, that's funny, but you've been there, haven't you? You've been there where you feel like you have so much on your show. you got so much on your cart that your feet aren't even touching the ground, that there's nowhere you can go and nothing that you can do. We've all been in places in life where we felt hopeless because hopelessness is everywhere. And we don't have to spend much time talking about that because we see it, we feel it, we realize it, we understand where hopeless is and how hopelessness uh, uh, tends to press in on us. And we need a place. We all need a place. We need a place and a people where we can come and take refuge, where we can find hope in the midst of the hopelessness. A hope that's sure, a hope that's true, a hope that isn't manufactured, a hope that isn't going to let us down, a hope that isn't, uh, you know, half-cocked, but a hope that is complete, a hope that is, that is promised, a hope that is sure. And we find that through God's church and through God's people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, we begin this story about Matthew, the guy that uh, this book is named for, that authored this gospel. And Matthew uh, was called from being a tax collector to being a follower of Jesus, one of his disciples and his apostles. Look at this passage with me, Matthew 9, 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. I, I want us to to, to, to notice uh, right off the bat what we see there in this story, that when Jesus was walking along, the first thing it says that he saw a man. Jesus saw Matthew. Now, it wasn't that Matthew was searching diligently for Jesus, because this was at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew hadn't heard about the miracles. He hadn't heard about the teaching. He hadn't heard about the the glorious testimonies of this guy, Jesus. No, Jesus was walking along, and the Bible says that Jesus saw Matthew. He saw Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, being a tax collector wasn't something that you really wanted to be. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, there were levels of sinners. The Bible says that Jesus came to sinners and harlots and tax collectors <laughs> like it just kind of gets worse as you go you know there's general sinners and then there was professional sinners <laughs> and then there was tax collectors which was the lowest of the low and this is who Matthew was Matthew was a was a tax collector and 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 Jesus he looked at Matthew he saw him sitting at his tax collector's booth Jesus Jesus saw Matthew, by the way, Jesus always sees the hopeless. He always sees the hopeless. Sometimes you may not even know the hopelessness you're in, but Jesus always sees the hopeless. He sees Matthew, this tax collector, and the Bible says that he looks at Matthew and he says, he says, follow me. He chooses Matthew 
to be his disciple. That word disciple simply means follower. And Jesus said to him, uh, follow me. And Matthew, he got up, he left his tax collecting business, he left his, his job, and he went with Jesus, and he followed Jesus, this sinner. Now, you have to realize that in that culture, in the religious system, for a Jewish person to align themselves with the Roman hierarchy, this was, this was, this was an absolute departure from their Jewish heritage. They saw it as a slap in the face to their, their Jewish religion. And it was as if you had departed God and departed the Jewish faith if you were to do something like this. So for Matthew to become a tax collector, he had turned his back on Judaism as a religion, and he had turned his back on his Jewishness as a race. So when Jesus comes along and, and speaks to Matthew, Matthew was probably in a place where he felt hopeless, at least that he was hopelessly disconnected from God, that he had made his bed and he had chosen to, to follow the Romans, which had, uh, in essence, separated him from the religious people of his ilk. And so here was Matthew, this, this hopelessly disconnected person, and Jesus sees him and he says, follow me. Now, I love here that even Jesus himself, when he would list sinners, right? What did he say? Sinners, harlots, and tax collectors. Jesus didn't let them off the hook. But notice that Jesus, when he comes to Matthew, who is, is, is a professionally employed by one of the big three that Jesus mentions, he's professionally employed in this. Jesus doesn't come to Matthew and say, okay, Matthew, the tax collector, I want you to get your life right. And then when you uh, can maybe... Maybe get your budget in order so that you can wean yourself off of tax collecting. And then you can work out everything to where you've put the sin to the side and you're good enough. Then come back and see me and I'll tell you whether or not you've measured up. I may give you a few more steps to take and then you can follow me. Jesus doesn't say that. He goes and he says, follow me. You know, it's our job to introduce people to Jesus. But not to diagnose their disease and then try to figure out the cure before introducing them to Jesus. I think too many times, too many churches have gotten, gotten it too wrong. They think that what we have to do is we have to diagnose someone's disease. And then once we've diagnosed their sin disease and the problems that they have, then we've got to begin uh, figuring out the cure. And then we have to somehow come up with the prescription and we have to give them the prescription and work them through the process and the prescription. And then if they do all those steps, we can introduce them to Jesus. But Jesus never did that. Even with Matthew, the tax collector, sitting at his tax collector's booth, right in the midst of that, that, that profession and that lifestyle, Jesus says, Matthew, come follow me. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that he didn't have a ministry of stop it and quit it. He had a ministry of come and do it. When we get into a stop it and quit it attitude, that's religion, but that is not Jesus. When we get into a mentality that all we're ever doing, hey, stop it, quit it, don't do that, quit that, stop it, stop it, stop it. That is not the spirit of what Jesus was about. No, what Jesus did is he gave a better way. He gave a better solution. He gave a better path. And Jesus didn't go to people and say, stop it, quit it. Jesus said, went to people and he said, come on and do come follow me, come, 
come, come be my disciple. Come learn these ways. Come learn a better life. Come learn a better way. Come learn a better faith. And that's what he called Matthew to. Through the church, just like he did with Matthew, Jesus provides hope. And I pray that through this church that we have a Matthew 9-9 attitude. That we see people no matter where they are, even if they're in the midst of their sin, and we see them. That we're not a church that turns a blind eye and we miss the hopelessness around us. But like Jesus, we see the hopelessness. We walk into the hopelessness and we, as we see them, we say, come follow Jesus. Come on and follow Jesus. And that we don't try to get into a mentality of stop it and quit it. That we don't try to diagnose and give them a cure before we introduce them uh, to the greatest medicine that's, that there's ever been. The Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. But that, it, that, that we instantly, we, we introduce them, we show them Jesus, we take them to the cross, we call them to come and follow him, and that that's our attitude. I think many are here in this church at 72 years old because through the church, Jesus has provided hope for many of you. And I believe that through this church, he'll continue to provide hope for many more. Through the church, Jesus provides hope. And what I mean through the church, that doesn't mean through the programs that we can come up with or the systems, the ministries, the services. That means that Jesus is going to provide hope to the world through you, through you. You are the church, and you can be the hope for another. Secondly, if you've got your notes over there in the left box, through the church, Jesus provides healing, healing. You see, not only uh, for many of us did, did, did we find Jesus, did we find his church and move from from hopelessness to hope, but once we've moved to hope, some of us, we, we come in with, with brokenness. We come in with a past. We come in with difficulties in our life. And what the church also does is it aids us through Jesus Christ in the process of healing in our lives. Through the jer- church, Jesus provides, provides healing. Maybe some of you have found yourself in a painful situation like this. Yeah, he's safe. Man, we've all been there though, right? Just like that, that overloaded donkey that, that there's just too much on his plate and he wants to make progress. He wishes he could pull that weight, but he just can't get his feet on the ground. And that's what hopelessness feels like for some of us. For others, we feel like the little league kid that slid head first, Babe Ruth style, not Babe Ruth, Pete Rose style into second base the first time. And, and, and you know, we're going for the goal. We We've dove in there, we're, 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 we're trying to make it, we're trying to succeed, right? We're trying to, to help our team win, and then the next thing we know, we are eating dirt, <laughs> right? We're in full scorpion position, and we've done face-planted into the bag. So many of us, that's our life in a metaphor, that we, were, we thought we were doing right, we were pressing in for the win, we were doing as we should, but we, we find ourselves just eating dirt, <laughs> We've been there. We've been in that place where we're in pain and we need healing. You know, this story of Matthew, it applies here too. Look at verse 10 as we continue reading in that passage. After Jesus invites Matthew to follow him, verse 10 says that later Matthew invites Jesus. He says, man, I've got this new friend. I'm his follower now. I've quit tax collecting. Jesus has invited me to be a part of his team And later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. He says, hey, 
Jesus, I want you and the other guys that are following you too. Why don't you come have dinner with me? You're my new friend. I want, I want, to, I want to take you to dinner, Jesus. I want you to come over to the house. And the Bible says that so, so Matthew, he just gets who he knows. He invites his friends. And the Bible says along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love this dinner party. This is an interesting dinner party right here. Because Matthew invites Jesus and the disciples and a whole bunch of sinners. Now, we can picture this dinner party in one of two ways. First of all, we can see a lot of people sitting around a table. And on one side of the table, you may have, uh, you know, these, these, you got Jesus and you got his disciples that he's already called. So you got these really religious people, right? These upstanding religious types who are, who are stoic and pious and prim and proper. And then across the table, you got the, this, these absolute riffraff knuckleheads, right? All these disreputable sinners and these tax collectors going nuts. And, you know, you can see that, that the looks and the stares and the eye cuts and the, those stoic, pious ones as they speak and whisper to one another in deep tones. Oh, what are these guys doing? I'd never do that. But I really doubt that's what this party looked like. Because if you really look back at those guys that had become Jesus' followers, I mean, they were a bunch of rough old dudes themselves, weren't they? I mean, these guys were some notorious sinners themselves. This was Jesus' group. And so as they got around this table, they probably all fit in real well. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. And so here they are. The Bible says he invites them to his home, and here are all these guys. You know, <laughs> write this down. This is in your notes, too, but this is such a great point because this is one of the things I like the most about Jesus. Jesus liked people that were nothing like him. And people that were nothing like him liked him. You know, as it, it, God's people, if we live a life where the only people we're ever around, the only people that we build relationships, the only people that we like are people that are just like us, well, then we're not just like Jesus. Did you hear that? If the only people you like are people that are just like you, then you are not just like Jesus. Because people like, Jesus liked people that were nothing like him. And you know what else? If you're one of these people that call yourself a Christian and nobody likes you, you're not like Jesus. Because people that were nothing like Jesus liked him. And so, brother, I don't know about, you're talking about compromising. I'm not talking about compromising. Did Jesus ever compromise? Do you think that Jesus compromised one ilk when he sat down at a table and had dinner with these disreputable sinners? He didn't compromise anything. He lived in perfection. Yet they liked him. And he was able to have an impact on them. And they were changed. Now, I'm not saying we compromise the values of our faith so that we're liked by the world. Do not misinterpret my message as that. But I am saying that we're willing to step into the lives of the hopeless and to step into the lives of those that are broken and need healing in such a way that we can have impact. That we're not so pious 
and legalistic like the Pharisees were, that there becomes separation, but that we can that we can with grace and love enter into those people's lives in such a way that they can find Jesus and they can find faith. Verse 11 goes on and says this. Look at verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, woo! <laughs> but when the Pharisees saw this, because see, if you were a Pharisee, you better not be sitting down and having no dinner with a bunch of tax collectors and a bunch of disreputable sinners. That's the difference between Jesus and religion. That's the difference right there. Because when the Pharisees weren't about to go enter into the life of somebody that's hopeless. The Pharisees weren't about to go help somebody that actually was broken and might need some healing. No, 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 no. They were about some judging. They were about some finger pointing. And they saw Jesus, Matthew, that's all Matthew knew to do. I got a new friend. All this riffraff over here is my current friends. I want my new friend to meet my current friends, and I want my current friends to meet my new friend. And Matthew, all Matthew wanted to do was bring his two worlds together. That's all Matthew wanted to do. But the Pharisees, they were looking for something. And the Bible says that when they saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Why does your teacher eat with such disreputable sinners? Why does he surround himself with winos and gluttons? Why does your teacher eat with such scum? I am so glad Jesus eats with scum because he dines with me. If Jesus didn't eat with scum, I'd have never met Jesus. And neither would have you. 72 years of Longview Missionary Baptist Church, when we come together with communion with God every single Sunday at this church, you know what we're doing? We're a bunch of scum having dinner with Jesus. That's who we are. Because at the end of the day, it is only His imputed righteousness that gives us any holiness at all. And that in and of ourselves, we are weak, broken vessels. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes me anything at all. And without Him, well, I'm a bottom feeder. I'm down at the lowest level. I'm the goo on the bottom of the barrel. I think we call that scum. That's who we are. These Pharisees, they thought they were up here, but in God's economy, those disreputables that heard the gospel message and were converted at Matthew's house were so much higher and so much destined to so much more greatness than they were, and they thought that their religiosity would earn them something, but in the grand scheme of things, it earned them nothing, and it was that scum. Oh, they thought, those, those Pharisees, they thought that they were finding favor with God, but God only come and dined at one house that night. Think about that. God was on earth in the flesh. And where did God have dinner that night? It wasn't at the Pharisees' palace. No, it was over there at Matthew's house with the scum. With the scum. People will never understand the agenda of Jesus when they get caught up in religion. When you get caught up in religion, the agenda of Jesus just doesn't make sense. But when you, when you find the truth of Jesus Christ and you understand why Jesus came to sinners, why Jesus dined with scum, because that's what opened the door for my salvation and your salvation. Too many people have fallen into this religious trap. 
And there's too many, there's too many organizations, there's too many Christians, there's too many churches that they say stuff like this. They say, well, you know, when you believe what we believe, and uh, you behave how we behave, well, then maybe we'll let you belong where we belong. And I love that Jesus made it simple. He made it simple. Hey, I died on the cross for your sins. You're worthless. You're a sinner. You're not deserving. Do you believe that? Yeah. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to die on the cross, and they're going to bury him in the grave. And three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. And if you just believe and put your trust in that, then we're going to forget about all your worthlessness, and we're going to apply my worth to you, and then you, you'll, you'll attain justification. Does that sound good? Jesus, that sounds great. I'll accept that. Amen, you're saved after that. That's beautiful. That's the, that's, that's the Great Commission. But the Great Commission backward, you know, the Great Commission's interesting because that is the marching orders of the church. That's for 72 years, that's been the mission statement, if you will, of Longview Missionary Baptist Church because it was given to us right there in Matthew 28. And the Great Commission says it's where to win them, right? Where to go into the world, make disciples, where to win them, teaching them. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things. There's this beautiful order to that, and, and we see it play out right here in Matthew 9-9 with Matthew, that we win them, and then once we win them, we baptize them. And then once they've been baptized and, and have identified themselves as Christ, that there's this process of teaching. We teach them to observe all things, that we begin to learn and to grow in the things of God. But too many churches, they do the Great Commission backwards. They're like, we want to teach them, and then maybe if we get them caught up, we'll baptize them, and then if then we've won them. And that's not the right, that's not the right direction. That's not the right direction. The, the biblical direction is what we see with Matthew. He calls them, and he goes to the hopeless, and he goes to the healing. And the Pharisees said, no, you can't do it that way. And Jesus said, no, we do do it that way. So we read on in verse 12 and 13 as we, we kind of start winding down towards the end of this story. And look what, what Jesus goes on to say. Because these Pharisees, you know, they say, well, hey, he's asking the disciples, why is, your, why is your teacher over there eating with scum? Look at verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You know who he's calling sick there? Not just the scum. He was calling the Pharisees. He was calling the Pharisees sick. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Have y'all ever heard that that's really all a church is? We're just a bunch of sick people showing up to the hospital every Sunday because we know where our healing comes from. That, that's what we are. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then verse 13, I love. Then he added, now go learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to sure, show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I challenge you to go find that. It's an Old Testament reference, and it's talking about the guy that's doing the talking here. And then I highlighted what's in yellow there. He says, for I have not come to call those who think they're righteous. I have not come to call those who think they are righteous. You know, that's the problem with religion is religion leads us to think that we're actually righteous. That's what religion does. That's the trick of religion is that we might actually start thinking that there's something good and righteous within us. He said, And Jesus said, no, no, I didn't come for those that think they're righteous. And here's why. Because those who think they're righteous will never find true salvation. You want to know how to never be saved? Then think you're righteous. Because when you think you're righteous, you don't need a Savior. He said, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know they are sinners. That's the first step of salvation. 
It's looking into our life and admitting that we are sinners. We teach our kids at the youngest age in Bible school the ABCs of salvation. Number one is A. Admit that you're a sinner. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you think you're righteous, then you've missed the first foundational step. But when we can stop and admit that we are broken sinners, that we are the hopeless, that we are the the broken, and we need hope and we need healing, then we can find the gospel truth in Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus taught through the story of calling that disreputable sinner and tax collector, Matthew, to be one of his disciples, of sharing himself and his love and his truth to those disreputable sinners that gathered around that table with his followers that night at Matthew's house. And this right here, 72 years, I pray that it's 72 and then some more, that God continues to use this church in a great way, that that barring the Lord's coming, that this church continues to be a lighthouse in this community, and one day another pastor can stand up in front of another group of faces and say, look what we're doing now. But this is it right here. We say this because this is why churches must quit fighting over stuff and start fighting for people. Because when you fight over stuff, it doesn't matter. And that was stuff that those Pharisees were fighting over. Churches got to quit fighting over stuff and they got to start fighting over people. So I want you to contemplate this message as we wrap up today. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And it's really simple. It's hope and healing. It's hope and healing. That this, this guy, this Jesus that liked people that were nothing like him and was liked by people that were nothing like him, he gave us himself, his body, his blood, his forgiveness, his grace. He gave us this church that's here in this world for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring hope to the world, to bring healing to the broken. And so the question is, in light of all this, what's your next step? What about what does that mean for you? What's the step of hope or the step of healing that you need to take? I thought we had a great example of that this morning as we began with Kathy and her baptism. It's a great next step, Kathy. Maybe you have a next step. Maybe you're one that's here and you've look you've tried to find your righteousness yourself through your own goods, your own good deeds, your own works and you're finding that that's empty, and maybe your next step today is to admit that you're a sinner because you saw the Word of God and you realize that Jesus didn't come for those who think they're righteousness, they're righteous, but He came for those who know that they're sinners. And you're here today and you recognize your sin, you recognize your need for a Savior, and your next step is to accept Jesus and be saved. Maybe you've been saved, but you need to take that next step in the Great Commission, win them, Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you need to go public with your profession of faith, with your salvation and your baptism. And you say, you know, my next step today is I I, I need to be baptized. That's what I need to do next. Maybe that's your next step. It could be so many things. It could be individual to you. It could be something like church membership or faithfulness to God and His church. It could be faithfulness to a group of people. Maybe today you say, man, I need to plug into a small group or plug into one of the Sunday school classes and surround myself with Christian folk. It could be shedding a sin. It could be coming back to God and rededication. It could be a a step of service and serving God. But whatever it is, I left you a blank on your bulletin today where you can write that down. If that's you, 
And you can say, you know what, I know what my next step is. My next step is blank. You can write that down. And then what you can do by writing it down, you'll know. You you don't have to hide from it, but you'll admit it. You'll know, I know what my next step is. I'd hope that here in a minute when we have the temptation, you'll take that next step. God's calling you to repentance, maybe in your pew where you sit or in these altars. You'll you'll put your face on the ground and say, God, I'm turning back to you. Forgive me of where I failed you and help me to change direction in my life. Maybe God's calling you to salvation and you want to come and find the salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ. Maybe God's calling you to church membership or baptism and you're ready to come and say, hey, that's me. I'm ready to make that step and we can plan that. You're ready to go public. Whatever it is, maybe God's calling you to something very personal and very specific to you. And maybe you want to do business with God right there in the pew where you are. But you know what your next step is, and this is your opportunity to take it. So what's God calling you to through the word today? I'm going to ask you and invite you to respond. May God stir your heart and may you move. Let's stand together.